So it's really good to see you all. I want to thank you for your perseverance and your willingness to come and be a part of Sunday School every week. I certainly do look forward to seeing you guys. It's been a long week, and I hope that you all had a good one or that, that uh, God has gotten the glory and some good has come for you out of it. But um, we're going to go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and today we are going to continue in our Sunday School class to talk about the the God's eternal decree. God's eternal decree. Um, so let's go ahead and... Uh, Uh, Open with a word of prayer and we'll get going. Father, we do thank you uh, that we can come to you uh, through the name of your son, Jesus Christ, through the privilege of his shed blood and through the power of your spirit uh, to fellowship with you and to know you. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you loved us enough that you that we have been on your mind and on your heart before the world was ever created. And that is a wonderful joy to just to even think that you knew us before we ever took a breath. And that you loved us enough to send your son to die and save us. And so, Lord, I do pray for every man and woman in this room. I pray for myself as well. The things that we will talk about today are deep and 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 uh, things that will constantly make us as fallen human beings to struggle to grasp to know who you are. So please help us. Help us to know you. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe you. Um, help us to see you in your word, in your truth, and help us to hold on to that truth and Please allow that truth to form us and to guide us and to conform us into the image of your son. So, again, thank you for this time that you've given us together today. It all comes from you, and we just want to recognize that now. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you'll take your bulletin, we'll take a bulletin and look in the, um, as I tell Miss Pearl, page two, the inside left page, right? As I do the bulletin and edit week, this is page two. Left inside page. And generally what you'll always find there is um, a Bible verse that that seals what we're going to be talking about today and then a statement from the the confession or the creedal statement. So our Bible verse today comes from Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 6. And we will talk about this a little later as well. But it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. All right. A lot of a lot to swallow there. But I, I want you to hear definitely that it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And again, as we were talking before we started the lesson today, the terms election and predestination are almost heretical terms in Southern Baptist churches, like it's some kind of terrible thing. But if we realize that they're actual words in the Bible and they actually have biblical meaning and truth to them, and if we can grasp what they mean and understand, it gives us a fuller uh, grasp of our Lord and Savior. It gives us a fuller grasp of the relationship that we have with him. And not only that, it gives us an assurance that we have a God who created us and put breath in our noses and loved us before the world was ever founded. And that he reached down into a world full of people who deserved hell and said, no, I love you too much to allow you to die. And he chooses us. He he literally comes down and said, I love you. And so your salvation is founded on his choice of you. Now, we do choose him when we realize his love and through grace or grasp the understanding that he loved us and sent his son to die for it. And we receive him and believe him and realize that his son died on the cross. for us. There is a point where we come to choose him as well. And we'll see that today in one of our Bible verses where God works salvation into us and then we work salvation out through our lives. Uh, But we do need to understand that God chose us in his son Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, predestining, predestining us to adoption as sons according to the good pleasure of his will. So the reason that you are a child of God is because God willed it. Now, 
Everything that we're going to talk about when we talk about God's decree is based on God's will. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what did he say? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. That's part of our prayer. We're praying and asking God that his will be done in our lives and in the lives around us. Okay, so there's some things that we need to uh, realize as we read this creedal statement. It says God has decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his will freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin nor has fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things in power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. So again, at the beginning, it says God has decreed, and at the end, it said his decree is accomplished. So what do we have? When we hear God's decree, um, a more modern understanding of that would be God's plan. We hear people say God has a, a plan for your life. All right. Well, God's plan is established in his decree. It's God's plan. And God's plan is going to be worked out throughout time. It was established in eternity past. It is being played out in the in time and it will be magnified and glorified in eternity future. We're going to see that God had it all along, that nothing happened by accident, that he wasn't up in heaven pulling his hair going, oh, no, what am I going to do with these people? And so it's based on his decree. But what you'll see is it said um, God is neither the author of sin nor the fellowship therein. What does that mean? God decreed that he created Adam and Eve and God decreed that they would be in the garden and God decreed that they would fall. That the serpent would come and tempt them and that they would fall. He decreed all of that. He said that this is going to happen. But one of the first objections that we have as fallen human beings is, well, wait a minute. If he's the one that said it was going to happen, then it's really not even even Adam's fault. Like he's the one that decreed it. So how can we blame Adam and Eve for falling? He's the one that decreed that the serpent would come down into the garden and trick them and they fell. So it's got to be God's fault. But what this creedal statement is saying is, is that by God's decree, he allowed free will. He allowed creaturely will in his creatures. He allowed the devil to turn from him. He allowed Adam and Eve to choose to turn away from him. So in his will, he allowed these things to happen. But he's not the cause of the fall of the devil. The devil freely chose of his own desires to turn and rebel against God. So you can understand how our little minds can't grasp this. If God said it was going to happen and the devil freely chose to turn away from God, whose fault is it? Is it God's fault for saying that the devil was going to turn or is it the devil's fault for choosing all right, so do y'all understand where this conflict, this, this stirring in our hearts is going? It's like, well, it, if God decreed that the devil would fall, then God is kind of the author of sin. But that's not the case. God is not the author of sin. And so what we're going to see happen throughout time as, as God's decree plays out in the world around us and in our own very lives, we're going to see where our bad choices actually are turned around and used for God's good and our, our God's glory and our good. You will be able to look over your life in the past and see where really bad decisions that you have made that hurt you and hurt other people were bad. And they were of your own free choosing. But God will turn those things around in the life of his children and use it for his glory and our good. So, a couple of terms that we need to grasp before we get into the biblical text is this. Number one, God has a decorative will and a permissive will. God says, thou shalt not kill. That is his decorative will. 
That is his decorative will. You will not, thou shalt not kill. All right. But God also has a permissive will. God permitted those men to nail his son to the cross. Is it God's will for people to murder? No. So in his decorative will, it is not his will that anybody should kill somebody. But in his permissive will, he allowed his son to be nailed to that cross. You see how that works? So he he permits evil things to happen. He allows them to happen. So he has a decorative will that says you shall not uh, commit adultery. All right. That's his decreed will. Did David follow that God's decorative will when he slept with Bathsheba? No. But who was the father and mother of Solomon who took over the throne after David? So God took that wicked act by David and Bathsheba and turned it around and used it for his good and our good and his glory. He gets glory out of that. You say decree means plan? Yes, his decree is his stated will. This is what I will. So he planned. Are you saying he planned for Adam and Eve to sin? He he decreed that they would. He knew knew they would. Right. Okay, good. Now, the question that Angela is asking is a very important question. Because what we're going to find out is, is that was God's decree based on what God wills? Or was God's decree based on what he would look down through time and see what people are going to do? Yeah, yeah. Are, are you with me? Yeah, yeah. And it, it, now, it can be confusing, but it's really simple. So, what the question that you and I have to ask is this. Is God sovereign or is God depending on the actions of men to make his decree? All right, so when did he decree it? Before the foundation of the world. So it wasn't based on any choice that a man made. It was based on his decree. All right, so God, did God decree that Adam and Eve would fall? Yes. Did God decree that uh, David and Bathsheba would have a, an affair? Yes. But he, he didn't base his decree on what he knew would happen he based it on who he is. And so, but he allowed them their own free choices. And through their free choices, they actually carried out his decree. Is it God's will that people commit adultery? No. But he decreed all that would happen. So the reality is, is that God does not base any of his declarations Upon what you are going to do in the future. Because if that's the case, who is he depending on? He's depending on you and your choices. So when God made a prophecy in the Old Testament that said that the the Passover lamb would have no uh, bones broken in his body. And when Jesus hung on the cross and they, they broke the legs of the two people beside him but didn't break his legs. Why didn't they break his legs? Because God decreed it, but he was already dead. Right? Jesus had already given up his spirit. He broke their legs because that's what, if not, they would have stayed on the cross and suffered for three or four days without dying. But by breaking their legs, they couldn't stand up and keep their lungs from filling with blood. But when they got to Jesus, they saw that Jesus was already dead, so there was no reason to break his legs. But God had decreed in time past that Jesus would die on the cross, that he would give up his own life on that cross. So in the, the men who murdered Jesus, they intentionally murdered him, but they weren't the ones killing him. He gave up his life. But those legs were not broken for a reason, because it was all a part of God's plan. And that Paschal lamb that died at the Exodus all the way back in Egypt was a picture of what was going to happen to the real sacrifice. And it was all a part of God's plan. And that plan was not based on the choice of those men not to break Jesus' legs on the cross. That plan was made before those men ever knew what they were going to do. 
So what it shows us is that everything that happens in the world is under God's control. He is in control of everything, even the evil and evil, even the wickedness. But he is not the author of that wickedness. That part falls on our free choices. Okay? So we have his decorative will and we have his permissive will. And when we talk, there's another term we need to know that it's called compatibilism. And what that means is, is that God's decree and man's choices are compatible. They work together to carry out God's plan. Amen. Yes. You see how that works? So what that means is, yes, God decreed that you would do this, but you are responsible for your actions because you have free creaturely will. Right. So we need to understand that um, his decree was established before the foundation of the world and it's not conditional on the wills of men. His decree is not based on what men would will. His decree is based on what he wills. And man's will falls into that plan. There's a compatibilism there. Right. And so we also need to understand that. When we talk about free will, we need to understand that our will is only as free as our nature. And we've talked about this several times in the past. Well, what do I mean by that? All right. So my will is only as free as my nature. I am sure that Miss Jackie's will would be to be here with us this morning. Right. But her nature determines that she cannot be here today. True. You see how that works? My will would be to fly. Then I wouldn't have to pay for a plane ticket to go to California. But if I go stand on top of this church and jump off, gravity is going to take me to the ground and I'm going to break something because my nature has determined that I cannot fly. Okay? So your will is only as free as your nature. And what we learn is is that the fallen man, the natural man, think of somebody that you know that's lost. All right? They're Choice, their will is as only as free as it, their nature is. And what the Bible teaches us is that the, the man who is lost is dead in trespasses and sin. He doesn't want anything to do with God. He doesn't, he hates God and he doesn't want to do anything good because his heart is enslaved to sin. So his choice of God is only as free as his nature. And what does his nature say? No, I'm not choosing God. It's God's grace that reaches down and sets your nature free, regenerates you, and makes you a child of God. You see how that works? So it's God that comes down and said, you are dead in trespasses and sin, and you are a slave to sin, but I love you too much to let you keep living that way. And so what does he do? He reaches down and he sets your heart free. And when God sets your heart free, then what is your nature allowed to do? Once he sets your heart free, what can you do now? You can choose him. You see? So we often talk about how we get up from the aisle and we come down and we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that is, there's a truth in that, right? You don't have to come down the aisle to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. You can be accepted in your bathroom or in the kitchen or wherever God is at work in your heart. But the reality behind that and the more important thing is it's not that you chose God, but he set your heart free because he chose you. You are responding to his will and to his choice. Are you responsible to make that choice and trust him? Yes. But you can't do it until he sets your nature free to do it. If not, if he leaves you as you are in your fallen nature. Right. If he had not come down into the garden and said, Adam, where are you? Then Adam and Eve would still be hiding. Well, actually, they'd be dead now, but they'd be hiding in the bushes with fig leaves all over them. God came down in the garden and said, no, I'm not going to leave you like that. I love you too much. Adam, where are you? And so what we see playing out in the Bible throughout all of the Bible is God's will and man's will. And what happens more often than not is what? 
they're constantly in conflict because fallen man doesn't want. If God is God and God is sovereign, which means he's in control, then that means I'm not. And that's where we have a problem. And it, I've never been married, but I can tell you that in a household, usually the argument's about who's in control, right? The man always wants the TV remote. He wants to be in control. There, there, there's a desire to be in control. You're the one having control. Right? You got two animals. You're not in control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so as we get into this lesson today, think about these things. Number one. It is essential in our study of God's decree that we realize three things. Let me pass out this piece of paper to you guys. I forgot to give that. Very true. No, 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 no. Yeah. The Bible, the Bible actually teaches that there is no such thing as an atheist. <coughs> that every human belie- being believes that there is a God. Yeah. The Bible teaches that there is no such. He says that all believe that there is a God, but everyone who has fallen, everyone who does not have a regenerate heart, what the Bible teaches, and this is Romans one. You can read Romans one, and you'll see it. It says that they are willfully suppressing the knowledge and the truth of who God is. Yes, yes. That's, and that's Romans 1, 18 to 36. You can read that on your own and it shows you a picture of what happens. So they know that there is a God, but they willfully, what does it mean to willfully? Of their own choice and determinant are pushing that aside and saying No. And even those who believe in a God are willfully suppressing the truth because they are rejecting the God who has declared himself through yes, truth. Yes. Right? Every, every person that you know that's lost, that you know that is a lost person, they will say something to you like this. If, if God is so good, then why does he? Yes. Or if the Bible is the truth, then why is this contradiction there? How do you know that the Bible is true? So what are they willfully rejecting? The truth. The truth. They're willfully rejecting the script, God's revealed truth to us. So there, the Bible actually teaches that there's no such thing as an atheist, period. That even the atheist will not sit and argue with you about the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy because in his heart he knows that the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny... Zane, put your fingers in here. But he will argue with you all day about God. Yes. Why? Because in the depths of his heart, he knows that he's real. And in the depths of his heart, he knows he's accountable to him. And he's trying to willfully suppress that truth and that knowledge so that he doesn't have to believe. Is that fair enough? And if you say something more often, then after a while, you won't believe it. Right. And, and you'll see that. So what happens is, is man rejects truth and then God turns the man over to his own desires. Yes. What is the man's desire? To reject truth. So God says, okay, I will turn you over to your own will. Yes. And what is your will? To not believe the truth. True. And so what happens? People fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And the only thing that will rescue somebody from that. It's God's grace reaching down and saying, no, I love you too much to let you keep living like that. And it's God's grace that saved every one of us in this room. Amen. Every one of us in here, if, we, if you are a born-again believer, it's because God reached down and said, no, I love you too much to let you keep living like that. Yes. And he changed your heart and set your will free to believe him. And so we need to... Um, uh, Wayne was telling me this morning about you're going to watch a movie about Martin Luther. Martin Luther wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will. And the the point of that book, The Bondage of the Will, is that fallen man is so enslaved to sin that even his choices and his freedom is, is enslaved to that. That he is in bondage. 
And the best expressions that I can think of to explain that to you is someone who is a drug addict or a, a drunk or uh, someone who is a sex addict or someone who is a, gambl- a gambling addict or, or uh, uh, addicted to pills or something. You see, when you're addicted to those types of things, you have gone beyond the point of you being able to control it. Like you literally know that it's bad for you and you literally know that it's killing you and yet you continue to choose to do it. Why? Because your will is in bondage to sin. Just use that for uh, my mother. She smoked all of her life. Almost. Uh, and she developed emphysema. And Yeah. So there there are people that can there are people that choose to quit things that are bad for them out of self-preservation. Yeah. Like the only reason they're doing it is because it's going to kill me. But but again, when it, you ask somebody, I'm, I'm working with a couple of alcoholics right now and they will tell you, I can't stop. Yeah. Now. The problem is that society has said this, you have a disease and you're sick. But the reality is they made choices in their life and God has turned them over to those choices. And now they are enslaved to the choices that they have made. And so, yeah, but a part of that enslavement is their will. And one of the first things to come into grips with with addiction of any sort or sin, if you will, is the reality to recognize I can't control this. I'm not in control of it. The problem with willpower is that the will is the problem, not the answer. Yes. Right? So even there's some people that choose to quit doing something and they'll quit physically. They quit. But in their heart, they lust after it all the time. God steps in and sets our will free and we choose not to do it now because he's set us free from it. But I, I can't think of anything more graphic or displaying of the bondage of our will than an addiction. And the reality is all of sin addicts us to self. All sin addicts us to ourselves, and it's God that sets us free from that. You're talking about uh, addiction parts. The alcoholism, uh, they they teach you uh, in the AA and everything that you know is a sin, and there's something that you have to live with the rest of your life. Right. Because it would only take just a little smidge that you return back to it. Right. Right. And so um, one of the things about AA and Alcoholics Anonymous and, and all of the uh, those programs is that they are works based salvation, if you will. Like you do these 12 steps and you'll be set free. So the alcoholic is taught that, hey, I'm Ronnie, I'm alcoholic. And 30 years later, even after he has a chip, he's still I'm Ronnie, I'm an alcoholic. What Angela just said a second ago is this when Christ sets us free, we're free indeed. So I never have to say I'm Ronnie, an alcoholic. Again, I have to say I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. He's given me a a new heart, and he's given me the strength and the desire to walk away from those things that kept me enslaved. Okay, You see the difference? So one of them is you work it out yourself, and one of them is God works it out for you. Now, when God sets you free from alcoholism, you have the responsibility to stay away from it. But what happens is, is when he sets your heart free, he gives you the struggle. He gives you the desire to fight against it. Whereas before you were in bondage to it and you couldn't fight it. Like it always won. Yes. All right. That made it so easy for me. I had my cigarettes in my hand. I never intended to quit smoking. I couldn't wait to get in that car. Right. And 
Something just said, that's not what you want to do. Right. And so I know it was, I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I was, I was addicted for 30 years to tobacco. And it was, it was not the, it was not the, I'm going to get lip cancer and die that made me quit. It was the fact that I saw a bunch of kids that I was coaching in baseball doing the same thing that I was doing and me realizing that I was hurting other people by my actions. And not only that, but God making me aware that he gave me this body and that I'm com- he commanded me to take care of it. All right now, and to this day, I still, like, I hadn't had any stuff in my mouth in, in 20 years or better. But I can still go to a gas station today and see those cans behind the counter and my mouth will start watering. Like, so the difference is, is that he, he took, he gave me the ability to want to not do it. Yes. Whereas before it was me doing it in my willpower, and the problem is I wanted it. Every, every time I got finished eating, I wanted it, right? Yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. And so he's given, and it's the same thing. I still struggle with, there's plenty of sins that I still struggle with today. And I don't have to get graphic about it to tell you. I struggle with these things. The difference now in me 25 years ago is that now I struggle with these things because he lives in me and he is giving me desires to fight against those things that I didn't have before he set me free. But we do need to realize that we aren't safe. So um, in our study, we need to realize, number one, so these are three very important things we need to realize in this study as we go through this chapter. Number one, God is sovereign. What does it mean to say he's sovereign? He's the reigner. He reigns. He's in control. He's God. He's the king. God is in control. Uh, he is Lord. You see that capital L-O-R-D? In the Old Testament, that is the word Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping creator of the universe. And it's the same word that is attributed to Jesus in the New Testament. Yes? Uh, I have a question I've been looking at, and I've said, you know, uh, you describe God. God is God, you know. And then you have the word Lord. Lord is Lord Jesus Christ. Or you have uh, the Lord King of whatever. Doesn't the difference between God and Lord? So God is Lord. Yes. All right. Yes. God is God. That means he's the creator. Yes. In the Old Testament, the term Lord, L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, yes. is always used to describe Yahweh. Yeah. God. Okay. Uh, spell it as the lower capital. Capital L, little O R D, can be King David. King David. King David was Lord of Israel. Yes. He ruled and reigned over it. Right. But the capital L O R D was a term that replaced, in the translation, it was Yahweh. Yeah. Okay. So they would put Lord there. And so when you see in the Old Testament the term Lord, that same term is referred, Jesus is called Lord in the yes. New Testament. When you bow your knees to him, when you yield to him, when he saves you and gives you a new heart, and you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, yes. what you're saying when you say he is Lord, the simplest way that I know how to explain it, and this is very elementary, but when you was a kid on the playground and somebody told you to come do something, you didn't want to do it, you said, I'm not doing that, you're not the boss of me yes remember you told people that you're not the boss of me yes. you can't tell me what to do you're not the boss of me the term lord means you are the boss of me yeah. and in our fallen nature one of the reasons that we struggle with this is because if jesus is lord then who's not You see what that and yeah. and to, you got to be honest with yourself about this. Who do who likes to be in control in your life? One of the most frustrating thing in the world for me as a supervisor at a grocery store is to get a bunch of teenage kids to do their work. <laughs> right? And the reality is the only thing that could really get them to do it is if I was to beat them like slaves and make force them to do it, but then I'd go to jail, you see? But you can't bend other people's wills. And that's one thing that makes God different than me and you. God can. God can step in and change the will of his creation. You can't. If you don't, we all have sons and husbands and wives. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You are not going to change somebody else. 
That's God's work. So he's Lord. We also need to remember this. And this is so important. Not only is God Lord, but he's good. Every decree that he made is good. Every decree that he made is good. And his decree is an undeniable biblical reality. All right. So I want to... I, I, uh, I, Clip this off for you. This comes out of um, something called um, an abstract systematic theology by a guy named uh, James Boyce. And James Boyce was the president of Southern Baptist Seminary. Uh, in uh, now, you you might be thinking of another. There's a James Boyce who's a Presbyterian preacher at Tenth Prison in Philadelphia. This is not him. This guy was around during the Civil War, 1850 to 1880. He was the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I think it's in Mississippi. Mississippi, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Al Mohler is now the president. Who is one, He has been the president of the Southern Baptist Convention in the past, and he may be now. Like I don't know if he's the president or not. But the point I'm making is this. This statement that I'm giving you is coming from what the Southern Baptists taught as their systematic theology from 1855 to 1888. Uh, the book came out in 87, and it was all of what he taught in that class. So this is not something that I'm just pulling out of thin air or out of the history of the Reformers. This is something that Baptists have believed and taught for a long time. All right, and so I, we're only going to have enough time. I want you to go, go look at the ten statements, and then we'll start with that first one. So number one, God's decrees are eternal. God's decrees are eternal. What does that mean? They're forever. They were made in the past, they apply today, and they will apply in the, yes. in the eternity. All right. Number two, they are immutable. Indisputable. Huh? Indisputable. Not, not indisputable, immutable. You can't argue. Well, well, because it's immutable, you can't argue it, but immutable means it doesn't change. Something that clay is mutable and malleable, too. That's another word for it. What does that mean? Clay. Yeah. All right. Right. But if you put it in the oven and bake it, what happens to it? It gets hard. And if you try to mold it, then what does it do? It breaks. Same way with human heart. Like the heart is hardened by sin. And the only way that it's going to be regenerated is if God makes it a heart of flesh. If he tries to mold a heart of clay, what's going to happen to it? A hardened heart of clay. What's it going to do? It's going to bust. It's going to shatter. He's going to destroy it. He has to create in me a new heart. That's what King David cried out to God. The new birth, regeneration, is when God reaches in and gives you a heart of flesh. He rips the heart of stone out of you, and he gives you a heart of flesh. That's what salvation is. That's what regeneration is. It's when God reaches down and he takes that heart of stone out of you, pulls that out, and he gives you a new heart of flesh. Create in me a new heart, O God. That's what King David cried out in the Psalms. Why did David cry that out? Why did he need a new heart? Because through God's grace, he recognized that his heart was wicked and sinful and contrary to God. And he cried out and said, oh, God, create in me a new heart. All right. So they are also they comprehend all events. So the decrees of God comprehend all events. You see, um, look at D just so we can understand what I'm saying there by it comprehends all events. We're doing the life of Joseph in our Bible study. All right. So did God decree that Joseph's brothers would sell him into slavery. Yes. Yes. Not he knew that they were going to do it. He decreed that they would do it. And you say, wait a minute, God is the author of sin? No, God allowed those men of their own free choice to choose what they did. Rather and than, rather than kill him. Right. One a couple of them did. Yep. That's exactly right. But why did God decree that his brothers would sell him into slavery? Because 20 years later, he was going to bail them out. He was going to save them. Yes. You see how that works? So God took the wicked acts of men and turned them around and used them for their good and his glory. It's amazing to think that we got a God that is a control like that. But so the history of Joseph shows us that God decreed that his brothers would sell him into slavery. But God also decreed that Joseph would be sitting second on the throne of Pharaoh and be able be in a position to save his family. Did God decree that Joseph would get blamed for trying to cheat on Potiphar's wife and get thrown into prison and get thrown into a dungeon? 
Yes, God decreed every bit of that. All of that suffering that Joseph went through for 20 years was a part of God's decree. But at the end of it, what happened? Joseph looks back on his life and he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Your will and your desire was to do evil to me, but God took that and turned it around and used it for good. Yes. You see how that works? All right. So uh, we see that God's decree comprehends all events. Jesus being nailed to the cross, his father was not in heaven pulling his hair going, I can't believe they're doing this to my son. It was decreed in eternity past that that would happen. And Jesus willfully came and did exactly what his father asked him to do, which is to come and die. To save his people. But mine be done. That's exactly or thine be done. That's exactly right. That's what he that's what he prayed. All right, so the decrees are not conditional. There's no ifs in it. Right? We'd like to have ifs. Oh God, if you will do this for me, I will do this. We'd like to have conditions in our prayer life, right? Oh God, if this is what you want me to do, then let this happen. That. You right. Can't, you can't and we'll get into it. We're going to keep this sheet and get it back into it again next week. What you're doing when you throw those conditional statements into your prayers, are, are you, you're showing your untrust and unbelief in God and his plan for you. Amen. Right. Because he's going to do what he's going to do. All right. They are sovereign. We've already talked about that. They include means. What that means is, is that even though God doesn't. Uh, mind your prayer when you're sitting there throwing conditions in his lap. Yes. He still uses men's prayers. Am I commanded to pray for my lost loved ones? Yes. yes. Why? Because God uses means to carry out his decree. Does God command me as a, a pastor to proclaim the gospel to all creation? Yes. Yes. Does he know who's going to be saved and who's not? Yes. But I don't. And he's commanded me to share that promise with everyone. Why? Because he uses the means of you praying for your lost loved ones and he uses the means of the gospel being proclaimed to carry out his will. You see how that works? So when I proclaim the gospel, it's not up to me to run around the room and go, I believe that you're one of God's elect and I believe that you're not. That's not for us as human beings to decide. Who chooses who God chooses? God. That's it. Not us. But he uses means. My prayers, my sharing the gospel with my family and my loved ones, my sharing scripture with other people. God uses those things to carry out his will. And you're commanded to be a part of that, to partake in that. Um, They determine the free actions of men. And again, that's where we have a hard time with it, isn't it? Because if God's decree is determined in the free actions of men, how can you say that men's re, uh, actions are free? Right? But we like to hear people say God don't make robots, does he? Right. But he does turn us over to our own desires. Yes. And when God turns a man over to his sin, that man becomes a robot to sin. God turns that man over to his own desires and then he becomes a slave to his own will. It's a terrifying thing to think about. We see that with Pharaoh. God turned Pharaoh over to his own desires. And he said this. God said this before he, he ever went, Moses ever met Pharaoh. He said, Moses, I've raised up Pharaoh to show the people who I am. I'm going to take the most powerful king in all of the world and I'm going to beat the brakes off of him. I'm going to crush him and his people and show them that you do not mess around with God's chosen. He he literally put Pharaoh on the throne through his decree so that that could be expressed. So God himself works in his his people that faith and obedience, which are called the conditions of salvation. Yes. And you talked about obedience before. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We got time for all that. Well, uh, okay. I'll, I'll get with you no, a little bit. No, no, no. Let's let, let's um. Let me read these last two, and we'll read one more Bible verse to close to express that. Okay. All right. Uh, God's decree renders events certain. They're going to happen. While God has decreed the free acts of men, the actors have been nonetheless responsible. That one that says He renders certain events certain. 
All of prophecy is based on God's decree. And the reason that we know that it's going to happen is because because God decreed it to happen. So you and I can look at the Old Testament prophecies and see their fulfillment in the New Testament and see that God always keeps what his promises. But that same thing can apply to our future, the future promises and future prophecies of what? His second coming of the judgment of the world and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. Like those are a part of his decree, too. And because we can look in time and see where he's always kept his promises, that he's always kept his decree, that that decree gives us an certainty and an assurance of the things yet to come. All right. With that said, let's finish this last verse. Look at Philippians. This is our last Bible verse uh, to, to Talk about what uh, Wayne was just asking. Philippians 2, 13. Philippians 2, and it's, I think it's actually verse 12 and 13. All right. Verse 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 2, and we'll finish with this. Listen to what it says. So then, my beloved, we learned that word last week. That was our key word for worship and training, wasn't it? Beloved. What does it mean to say beloved? You be loved. So if God calls you his beloved, it means that his eternal affection is set upon you. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what are we commanded to do? Be obedient and work out our salvation. But watch the next verse. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So do you see what we see right there? Man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. God worked it in you and you are commanded to work it out. Be obedient. Okay, it says people that faith. So is is faith alone salvation? Are you faith? Are both go together? Faith, salvation, and grace are all three gifts from God. All three of them. I'm talking about obedience. I mean, obedience. obedience. If you have faith in God, you should have, be obedient to Him. Yes. yes, because the person who has faith in God is someone who God has worked salvation into them. And if that faith is in them, it's got to come out because God works it in. What does the verse say? God works salvation into us. And what are we commanded to do? Work that salvation out in our lives. So, yes, if God has given you faith. And you have chosen him, you have acted in faith, then an expression of true faith is obedience. It says obedience and faith. But, but is it possible? <laughs> is it possible? For, and I guess it is for people to have faith but not be obedient. Yes, I do it every day. Yes, yes, yes. But what? What? Yes. Do, do, are there times in your life where you fail to be obedient to his command? Yes. Yeah. I was, I, was, I, was preparing, I was preparing for church this morning, and a video come up on my social media of a wrestling match from the 1970s, and I wound up spending six minutes watching a wrestling match instead of doing my studies. I was disobedient to what God called me to do. You see, what, you see how that works? Now. Yes. All, in other words, if it is my obedience that I am trusting in for my salvation, then I'm not trusting in God. I'm trusting in my obedience. I'm trusting in myself. If God is at work in me, that obedience is going to come, and it's just natural. Like, it's just a natural thing to want to serve him, to obey him, to trust him, to believe in him. Those things come natural. So look at the verse one more time, and we've got to close with prayer because it's time to go. Look what it says. So then, my beloved, who are his beloved? Those who what? Believe in him. My beloved, just as you have always obeyed. Now, have you always obeyed God? No, but he's talking about in the sense that you trust him. Not in my presence only, but now more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work your salvation out. For it is God 
who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God has set you free to serve him and obey him. And if he has truly set you free, then obedience is going to be an expression of your faith. That's what James is talking about when he says, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Yes, yes. What he's saying is, is if true faith is in you, it's going to work out of you. Yes. It's got to. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, uh, a lot of people say, if you know God, you, you have salvation. But I don't, you have to have faith and obedience. You call demons knew of God. That's what James said. I'll even I I, I, I kind of understand what you're asking. The, the, the gist is this. If he has worked faith in you, you're going to work faith out of you. Amen. And that faith is going to be expressed in your obedience. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not perfect obedience because you're not perfect until you get a new body. But your desires are going to be to strive towards that, to strive towards pleasing him and allowing him to work through you. You're, you've died to yourself and now he's working through you. And that work is expressed in your obedience and your faith and the things that you do, the service that you do. Right? I, I love to read my Bible. Now, there are times when I read my Bible and I fall asleep and drool on the page. You see? So my desire is to read the Bible, but my... Spirit is willing, but my flesh is, is weak. Yeah. So there are times when I want to be obedient that I'm not. But the difference in a child of God and a child of the world is the child of God wants to be obedient. Right. He so you wants. have to know God, you have to have faith in God, yeah. and you have to be obedient to God. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'll leave you alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He still gives you the ability. All right, let's, let's close with prayer, and then, and then we'll finish up. Father, thank you for this time we had together. I do know that this stirs up so much to think about. Uh, I know that we all have questions, and my prayer is that in the coming weeks, as we continue to work through this, that you will help us to grasp an appreciation of what you've done for us, that we will know your salvation more and more, and that we will be able to be obedient to your call and to share the faith that you have given us with those around us. So be with us now in the time of worship. In Christ's name we pray.